back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin and Ailish. Big game tonight. Couple members of the uh, Eastern Octagon, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the New Jersey Devils. A little diminished, however, with the Leafs expected to be out. Expected to be out? Fully out. With Ryan O'Reilly and John Tavares. A little bit banged up right now, but it'll still be... Don't forget be... Luke Shen. <laughs> yeah, expecting a third child. Third, right? I'm assuming... One of them wasn't absent from that shot that we kept seeing on Saturday night. I hope not. Uh, but yeah, shorthanded, limping in a little bit, limping in, I guess, if you're John Tavares, just a touch. New Jersey Devils are a formidable task, so it'll be uh, up to the depth, the Toronto Maple Leafs, to rise to the occasion. To discuss that game and more, we have Bryce Salvador, former Devils captain and current MSG Networks analyst. What's going on, Bryce? Well, not too much. Well, thanks for having me. And, uh, are you already making excuses for the Maple Leafs? That's right. That's Coming Toronto tonight. Sports Radio. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> little excuses. A little, little excuse. No, it's 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 going to be tough, and it's I guess it's painted that way because the Devils are a legit team, and if you're going to come shorthanded, you might be going home with an L. Well, yes. No, it's been a, a tremendous season for the New Jersey Devils, and I think everyone's been surprised with, you know, how much improved that the season has been. I know I have. I expected them to be playing meaningful games in March here and maybe be scratching for a playoff spot and, and be fighting their way in and having some exciting hockey from that perspective. But to be two points behind Carolina and looking to uh, maybe finish first in the Metro, that's just been something uh, it's been awesome to, to be a part of from, a, from an analyst perspective. So what's been the catalyst then? Like, obviously, Jack Hughes has taken a pretty sizable step forward, but he was a elite player last year as well. Uh, you got John Marino on the back end. That was a big addition. Palat, big addition. Siegenthaler's been a guy that's impressed. But, like, how did this group go from, other than just internal development, and maybe it's it's exclusively internal development, but how do you go from a team that's kind of treading water a little bit to one that can challenge uh, for the Metropolitan Division crown? Well, it is internal development for me because basically you had the same team that you did last year. Yes, you added Andre Pilat, Eric Halla, but the fact of the matter is three games into the season, the fans were booing. They were asking for Lindy Ruff to be fired, and we kind of thought, hey, the season was already over. And then you had guys like Miles Wood. You guys may have talked about this really step up and come public say he's sick and tired of losing. And so when you start hearing that type of stuff, when you have the homegrown players like a Miles Wood who's been there almost one of the longest uh, tenure devils from that perspective say hey I'm sick and tired of this everyone really rallied behind that and three weeks later you have the fans chanting we're sorry I, no one's ever heard that in any professional sport where the fans are you know apologizing to a head coach and so that really started the catalyst of it where the guys took ownership inside that locker room and then from that point on they went on a 13 game heater Everyone started feeling good about themselves, and then he started to uh, become contagious where everyone started having career years in terms of how they're producing point-wise and everyone's contributing. Um, and so, you know, to answer your question, it really did start internally because um, you can say, well, you brought in a guy like Andrew, Andre Pallott, won a couple cups, but he's been injured most of the season. He's just been back recently. Um, and so it really was the guy internally saying, this is uh, not fair for us to be playing the way we are and potentially have, you know, good coaching staff uh, be fired. 
I find the Lindy Ruff storyline pretty fascinating. You you sort of outlined the, yeah, like fire Lindy off the start, sorry Lindy a couple weeks later and how things change. But this guy was like considered kind of old school, been around for a while, got to be a little old school if you've been around as long as Lindy Ruff has been around. And yet he coaches up, you know, one of the one of the teams that plays with the most pace in the league. And a lot of that is due to personnel, clearly. But he's found a way to sort of unlock a team in the new NHL. What was there major misconceptions about Lindy Ruff or has he evolved as a coach? Like, how has he got the best out of this team? Well, he's experienced. And I think why he survived as long as he has and I say with all due respect, is just because of his ability to adjust. Now, I think he's, well, look, he's won a Jack Adams before. And if we look at what he's done this season and the, the composure and how calm he's been and taken ownership of, even when the Devils had a, the, the struggle at the start, he went to the fans and said, hey, I take ownership. This is my fault. I've got to get this team to play. So he did a fabulous job there not putting blame on individual players and and they respected that. I know if I was inside the locker room and I hear my coach taking bolts for me, I would resonate from that and say, hey, I got to step my game up here. And so we're seeing this transformation of the players believing in the coach and staff, the staff, the coach staff believing in the players, and this is what you're having. Like I was talking to uh, uh, Radar360. They do a lot of uh, uh, analytics and stats for a lot of different uh, teams, and the Devils right now currently have the fifth best uh, you know, improvement point percentage wise from a season before. And so you have to go back to the San Jose Sharks back in 93, 94, uh, that has the highest uh, improvements in the season. So that just shows you how this transformation has it been really impressive. Now you bring in Andre Burnett as a associate head coach. We saw what he did last year in Florida and just the high octane offense they had there. So I'm assuming that he brought in some of his philosophies and Coach Ruff being uh, a veteran, like I talked about, said, you know what, I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear what other guys have done. Ryan McGill has done a fabulous job on the back end with the blue line. Pelican Kill has been very strong. Um, so I think it's a collective interest. They brought up Sergey Breland from uh, Utica, three-time Stanley Cup champion inside that Devils organization. So it's just not Lindy Ruff. And I know he would say that too. So that whole coaching staff that's done a, a fabulous job of really, you know, believing in their identity and making sure that message is, up, is heard by the team. Bryce, you lay out a great framework that the New Jersey, New Jersey Devils already had coming into it, but they're even getting better with the trade deadline winners, getting basically the best player, and that's kind of how you evaluate winners and losers is you get Timo Meyer, the best player available at the trade deadline, you did pretty well. Um, how's the excitement been around the organization and I guess the market in general, having Timo Meyer in the red and white and uh, the way that he's already come in and made a difference here in, in his first couple couple opportunities with the club? Well, he was a perfect fit for the New Jersey Devils. And, and, and when you hear general manager Tom Fitzgerald talk about, you know, the way he looks at the trade, it's it's just not that he went out there and got the best player available. He got the player that fit with where this group is. And I mean that from the perspective of the age group. Like mm-hmm. They're in a window being 26, 25, 24, that age group with the core guys, he sure, Brad and Jack Hughes, 21. But that can fit in here and brings a different element that he's 220 pounds. I saw him when he first arrived when we were in Colorado. He just came out of the gym, and I'm like, holy cow, I would not have liked to have had to try to move him from front of the net. He's got tree trunks, and he's just a big, heavy body. 
And what's impressive with him, he's in his one game, it was nice for the, him to score the first goal of the game, takes a lot of pressure off himself, but you can see that he's got explosiveness. And so not only is he a power forward, but he's able to keep up playing with Jack Hughes and Jesper Bratt. That's who they have him currently slotted in with. And so it's one thing to just be that, that power forward, but can you keep up? And then also he's got the hockey IQ. He can think at their same pace. And so Jesper Bratt, uh, and Jack Hughes, they play East-West hockey. You know, see Timo Myers more of a North-South, but he's able to adjust. I saw some great chemistry uh, a few times in that game against uh, Arizona, and so it's, uh, it's a great trait because he, he genuinely fits the identity and what this team needed. Still pending what's happening next with Timo Meyer, but how do you think the Devils are going to get him to stay there long term? Is uh, his fellow countrymen going to help work some magic into keeping him in the New Jersey Devils uniform? Um, I, I know that it's probably not uh, something that's been discussed too much, but I'm sure the questions linger about how they can secure this guy as a part of their franchise moving forward. Well, I think you hit it right on the head there. It's going to take uh, Nico Heischer, a uh, fellow countrymen to you know persuade him and and to keep him have him stay uh but what i what i liked about the trade also uh Alicia was was he he was excited like everything that he said was just i'm happy to be here it's it's a great opportunity i can come here and i can help this team and add a piece that they need and so when you hear that genuine um, happiness and excitement uh, and that goes a long way for me. It checks off the first box because um, if, you know when I played New Jersey at times wasn't a market that you'd want to be traded to. It had that stigma, and now it just shows you the transformation over the last five six years of just how uh, they've really re- retooled, uh, rebuilt this franchise, and now players want to come here. Um, started with Dougie Hamilton with that first signing there and uh, by general manager Tom Fitzgerald. And now you're going to see more players, especially as this team is now in that window of starting to win and continually be a playoff perennial team. That's when the, that's when the free agents and the top uh, players like a Timo Meyer really consider it. And, and also I think by Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer signing cap friendly deals, um, I think that also puts a little pressure on some of these star players like a Timo Meyer. So, you know what? I know I've got a qualifier at 10 million, but uh, can I really make 2 million more than the captain or sorry, 3 million more than the captain? Can I really make two more million than, uh, than uh, Jack Hughes? Um, Dougie Hamilton's making nine. So maybe he'll come down and say, you know what? I, I'll, I'll stay and play for nine or eight and a half and, and kind of fit within what the core is, is all making here. So that, um, he's not bringing some unnecessary attention to to himself by, uh, you know, maybe asking for 10 um, and maybe the fan base won't uh, like that. So, <laughs> um, but I, I like how it's shaping up. I think if they have a strong finish here and, and he continues to have success, uh, I like the chances of him resigning. We've got Bryce Salvador, former New Jersey Devils captain and current MSG Network analyst, breaking it down with us this morning. So the Devils, a lot of excitement and buzz around them. They're only two points back of the Hurricanes uh, for top spot in that Metro division coming into tonight's game. But you look around the gauntlet that is the Eastern Conference in general. 
post-trade deadline, a lot of teams got better and some teams decided to stay where they are and some teams decided to sell off. Um, how do you view where the Devils are down this important stretch, as you mentioned, and is there an area that maybe they failed to address that you think could be the Achilles heel when they're looking for a playoff push? Well, I like what Tom Fitzgerald did, and that's general manager Tom Fitzgerald. It's just that he made a strategic move, brought in Timo Meyer right now. Um, what, did they have a team that could do some damage in the playoffs? Absolutely. He also brought in Curtis Lazar. He had some depth in on the bottom six and some physicality. And just by adding those two pieces, uh, they immediately increased the physicality and the heaviness of the team. Um, defensive on the back end, uh, <laughs> Harrington was uh, – they traded for him. He was part of that deal, but they lost him in the waiver to Anaheim. But I think maybe they sort of use another, you know, defenseman, a veteran defenseman on the back end. But I wouldn't say that they're necessarily trying to win everything this year. Um, so they can still continue to add. The window is just open for them. Now, another area that may be uh, something that Tom uh, Tom Fitzgerald looks to improve in the offseason would be maybe goaltending. Um, Mackenzie Blackwood's been you know, injured off and on this season. They've uh, relied on Akira Schmidt at times to come in and be that backup. Very inexperienced as you go into the playoffs. And then Vitek Banachek, who's had a fabulous season. Like, don't get me wrong, he's been absolutely lights out. He's come in here, really uh, gave the team some stability in between the pipes. And that's something that's been plaguing them over the last several years and uh, it's just been very tough at times to come watch the Devils game with the goaltending they were getting but if you look at his last four starts he's yeah he's three one and oh but he's really struggled in terms of keeping the puck out his save percentage is down in the 800s and so the team has rallied around him gave him goal support and helped him through a little period of uh, struggle for himself personally uh, but the team's still winning and they're finding ways to win but I think a little more depth on the back end might have helped and maybe another goaltending op- again goaltender option um, but uh, as the general manager Tom Fitzgerald would tell you you know he's not trying to do everything overnight he's being very calculative and strategic of how he's rebuilding this team and retooling it. Uh, the best thing you can say about the Devils' deadline is that they got the best player. The second best thing is that they barely gave up anything in order to get the best player at the deadline, or at least of, like, real substance when compared to what else is in the system for New Jersey. Like, Tom Fitzgerald, you mentioned it. Like, he's not really a known quantity yet. Like, I don't think everyone knows his traits or his characteristics just just quite yet. He's still a little bit new to this. But with the way he's building a team and protecting the prospect system, is that, like, his best accomplishment so far is just balancing, you know, linear team growth, but also the formulation of a really, really talented nucleus of prospects uh, ready to contribute. Uh, you're 100% correct there. He, like What they've done here over the last say four or five years in terms of just one filling up the covers with some draft picks and then some grade A prospects. They drafted phenomenally. Look at the emergence of Dawson Mercer in the season that he's had in the most recent play and the fact that he was able to keep him and not have to include him in the Timo Meyer trade. Uh, the Holtz, he was able to, to keep him, Alexander Holtz, that is, uh, another first-round pick in the same draft of uh, Dawson Mercer, and he was able to protect him. You've got Luke Hughes coming up. 
Seamus Casey as well as another young defenseman in the Michigan uh, system right now playing their uh, college hockey. So when you look at just Tom Fitzgerald's body of work, well, it started off as frustrating, traded away the, the former captain, Andy Green, a teammate of mine. Uh, then he traded away Blake Coleman, uh, which went and, and did a great job and helped Tampa Bay win two cups. So he made some great uh, trades to help add picks to this team and then he went and started doing some really cagey trades and I, I credit the whole uh, scouting staff that the Devils have they went and get uh, Jonas Siegenthaler for a third round for Washington he's now slotted in as a top pairing defenseman Ryan Graves he acquired him right before uh, the expansion draft from Colorado so you see right there he added two top pairing defensemen already and then he signs his big splash with uh dougie hamilton in the off season so in a matter of what we'll say six months seven months he just trans transformed that whole back end added three legitimate top four defensemen um then he gets jack hughes to sign a favorable contract eight times eight uh, that's going to look like gold in in a couple of years here with the cap going back up and then he brings on Vitek Vanacek in a trade uh, for a second and third now this is your number one goaltender who signed a three-year uh, cap friendly deal of 3.4 million so you know you kind of just go down this list here uh John Marino uh, John Marino can't even forget about him for Ty Smith Ty Smith was a former first rounder of the Devils pick and now your top four, you basically traded or signed in the offseason to bring in here, and look what they've done this season. So, uh, you know, if he keeps continuing to make moves and, and acquisitions like he's done, you're looking at a guy that will be considered in the builder category here in a few years as a general manager of the year because what he's done here uh, has been quite remarkable. The MSG family of networks is going to be uh, fully firing if it is indeed Devils <laughs> and Rangers uh, in the first round. How would you describe what that would mean, that series, that spectacle would mean to, I guess, the network, but also the area, what hockey would be like in that area if it is indeed Rangers-Devils and if it's a classic like it frankly should be? Well, it's going to be must-see TV for sure. And I think from the network's perspective, uh, we were already talking about everyone's trying to fight for camera angles and, and locations and spots. And I'm sure there's even going to be some Canadian networks that might want to come down and cover a Rangers-Devils first-round matchup. So uh, it, it would be absolutely electric in there. And uh, it's uh, the year that we went to the Stanley Cup Finals that I played. We beat the Rangers uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. And the city went crazy here in New Jersey was on fire. I just remember people were, you know, leaving signs on my lawn and driving up and down. And, and so um, that's that's got a uh, going to be a great matchup if that happens. I, I still think that the Devils might catch Carolina. They play Carolina on Sunday. That would be a, a great game. But just when you look at the Rangers, they're in a win now mode, right? You add Patrick Kane, Tarasenko, you know, those two prominent guys. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure there uh, for them to have a strong run here. Shesterkin's been a little bit off. So I think uh, if he continues to let a, a uncharacteristic amount of goals go in uh, compared to his uh, Vezina season last year, I, I do like the devil's chances of coming out of that. But uh, if Shesterkin's standing on his head, it'll be, it'll be a series that goes to seven. 
exciting things to come. Um, if that is the case, it would be a hot ticket item for sure. And uh, things that are pending is Luke Hughes' uh, appearance with the squad, apparently going to be joining post-college season. Um, Leafs facing kind of a similar plan with Matthew Nyes, one of our highly touted prospects as well, waiting for that NCAA um, year to wrap up. What are the expectations for a new guy like that coming into a lineup of already a pretty jam-packed roster that has high playoff expectations as well? Well, uh, General Manitong Tichel has come out and said that, you know, they will bring him up here. That's uh, pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point. And depending on when their season ends, I'm expecting Michigan to go deep into the final four there. Uh, he may come and there might only be a few regular season games left. Um, and so uh, if that's the case, I think it'll be tough for him to, you know, all of a sudden just jump into the NHL playoffs. I'm not saying that. Uh, you know, he might not have the pedigree to do that because we've seen what his two brothers are, have been able to do in the National Hockey League and, and everything that I've seen of uh, Luke Hughes has been that he's also a special player like his two brothers. Now, you know, maybe if he's able to get in, in into the doubles lineup with, you know, three, four, five games left in the season, I think that'd be tremendous um, because then you'd be able to see is this a, an option should somebody get hurt on the back end that you can insert him, uh, give him some playoff experience. Uh, but definitely it would be nice for him to get a few games, and that's what I'm hoping for. But uh, it's going to be the, the Hughes uh, family show here in the New Jersey Devils uh, region So uh, for a very long time, and, and I know everybody's excited for, for Luke Hughes to join the team. We got the Richie for Richie trade just one day. We need the uh, Hughes yeah. for Hughes. Maybe it would be a three-way. We can really mix things up. Um, okay, so the Leafs are uh, looking to integrate as many as six new bodies for their playoff roster. Oh. I think we'll only see three tonight uh, with Ryan O'Reilly injured, uh, Luke Shen attending to the birth of his uh, next baby, uh, and Eric Gustafson, I guess, sitting for Timothy Liljegren. Uh, in your experience in your playing career, I think you you guys in 2012 when you went to the Stanley Cup Final only added one player of real substance, Marek Zidlitsky, uh, before going on your run. Is the, is when is too much? When is it too much when it comes to integrating new players? Like, is six a lot to ask for a team to absorb, or is it just come down to coaching, the core group, the needs of the team? Can it be too much sometimes in your experience? That is a lot of players. I'm not going to lie. That's a lot of players to, to add into your guys' lineup there. Um, and, and it can be challenging because you have guys that are where you used to certain ice time that now are going to be questioning their roles. Where do they slot? Um, and the guys that you guys brought in, like they all want to play. They're veteran guys, especially on the back end. There, a guy like Luke Shen, like he's going to push and he's going to challenge some younger defensemen on the back end. And so you're going to have some uncertainty of, of just where they're going to slide in and and there's going to be some real pressure on, hey, if I don't have a good game, am I going to be out of the lineup? Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how you're going to see guys, how they respond to that pressure. Now, look, look everyone's got to understand that this is a pressure business and result oriented, but um, you, the Toronto, uh, you guys in Toronto, this is a, almost a, a must-win year for you guys. I, I, I hear the pressure that everybody's under, starting with Nubis there, and uh, in terms of just you know from the general manager perspective, and and that's why he was out there, really wanted to make a splash and make sure that you know he's checking off all the boxes, and so it, it will be very difficult to to 
integrate all those moving pieces. But you guys got some veteran guys back there, Ron O'Reilly now and Tavares, and those guys will be able to help manage that locker room and make sure that everyone feels that they're contributing and, and also make sure that everyone understands that, hey, their role is maybe diminished in terms of ice time, maybe some of the maybe not getting power play or penalty kill that they still have value and, and whether they're, they're going to be a grinder now or, or, or be kind of a, a defensive minded player, maybe they slot down. I know you guys were talking about bunting earlier, just how he slopped that, uh, slotted down because of his recent play. It's how can you make sure that he's still productive on the fourth line? If he can generate some offense on the fourth line, third line, well, now you guys have depth. Um, and, and, and that also goes a long way. So that's going to be the biggest challenge is inside that locker room with making sure the veteran guys make, make sure everybody feels that they're important. Yeah, just a little bit of pressure here in Toronto. It's uh, It wasn't so long ago where it was very New Jersey-like, where it's just like, hey, this is kind of a free roll at the table. Look at all the talent we have. Look at all the talent coming. Uh, they grew up pretty fast. Now things are real serious in Toronto. So I will, I'll, I'll say it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it while it lasts. While it's, uh, the expectations are kind of minimal, but still a lot yeah. of hope for the Devils who have uh, a bright future ahead, but maybe a profitable run ahead of them this spring. Uh, we appreciate uh, the insight and the time, Bryce, and we look forward to doing this again soon. Well, thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was great. Enjoy the game. Thanks so much. That was Bryce Salvador, former New Jersey Devils captain and current MSG Networks analysts. I'm fired Bat- up for tonight. Battling for camera Woo. spots between the Rangers and Devils. You think they'd get along? Same same umbrella. MSG, I come on. I hope that happens. That playoff series would be as not as good as the Battle of Alberta, but it's getting up there. It'll be pretty good. The Rangers come playoff time is a different different world like they really mm-hmm. if any if any like atmosphere or team or setting really ramps <laughs> up New York is definitely uh, a big part of that, and I think the Devils will get even more out of them and each other. It, it should be a good one for sure. Uh, before we send it to break, it talked to Alvin Williams about the Raptors' tough finish to a great game last night. We're giving away tickets, as we have been yesterday and all week long, to Sam Hunt, who's coming to Bud Stage on July 16th as a part of his On the Outskirts tour with special guests Brett Young and Lily Rose giving away tickets all week long to enter. Tune into the Fan Morning Show this week. Listen for the daily code word. And today's is start somewhere. Text start somewhere to 59590 for your chance to win tickets. We're giving another pair away tomorrow. And if you don't win with us, make sure you secure tickets by going to ticketmaster.ca starting Friday at 10 a.m. That's Sam Hunt Budweiser stage July 16th on his On the Outskirts tour. And today's code word is start somewhere. Not as familiar with Start Somewhere. Yeah, this is a curveball, I'll tell you that one. More of a house we'll be, party guy. We'll be playing that I'm one. Sure, it's we'll good. Yeah, we're we're going to have to hear it coming back. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll remember. You know, you'll hear the, the initial rumblings. Like, oh, yeah, that one. Well, we got to start somewhere with building some momentum with the Toronto Raptors. Maybe mm. last night's game does just that. Alvin Williams, former NBA guard and current sports and analyst, joins us on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There it is. We're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Raptors played one of their best games of the season Undone by a last minute with 
questions to be answered possibly by Alvin Williams, former NBA guard, current sports analyst joining this morning. Thanks for coming on the show, Alvin. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Well, um, let's just start with the elephant in the room. I know we don't like to come on and talk about other people's jobs, like officiating, because it's a tough one, but felt like last night that became the storyline, unfortunately, in a Raptors game that was pretty much 46 minutes of dominance. <laughs> no, for sure. The Raptors, the Raptors played a very, very good game, execution, Um Played together, played like you said, forty-six minutes. But unfortunately, it's forty-eight minutes that that you need needed to play. And it's always it's always situations where you look at you look at a Denver Nuggets team and how they they execute at the end. They get the whistle at the end. They do a lot of things at the end because of you know that that winning piece. And they they've they've done a very good job over the years, and especially this year, of mastering every element of the game when it comes to manipulating the whistle. And when I say manipulating the whistle, it's using matchups. It's taking the ball inside. It's doing things like that to make the referees engage with the game. And and that's what happened. I think last night, the Denver Nuggets just did a really good job of executing down the stretch, getting the calls, getting the whistles. And the Raptors just couldn't respond. The last minute or last minute and a half where, you know, the Raptors just couldn't score the basketball. It just hurt them at the end. So I, w- I wouldn't put it on the referees. I wouldn't do anything like that. I would just, you know, say in a fair tone that the Denver Nuggets just did what they had to do to, to pull that game up. Yeah, it seemed like, you know, you can you can definitely lump in the officiating when it comes to Scotty Barnes, but everything else, it seems like, you know, the Toronto Raptors had a major, major hand in giving that away, and a lot of 50-50 things didn't go their way, but you have to create your own luck in this league, in every league, and, and the Raptors failed to do that. I do want to ask you about yeah. Scott Foster, though, because, you know, I don't know, we don't know exactly what was said on the floor from Scotty Barnes, but... Uh, it seemed like something that could have been let go in the moment. So, you know, you played in games with Scott Foster uh, officiating. What kind of guy is he? What kind of official is he? And do you have any negative experience or positive experience with Scott Foster on an NBA floor? You know what type of guy Scott Foster is. That's why you know his name, right? (laughs) Scott Foster is the guy with with his short temper. And he's he's not playing games. And, you know, that's something that, that Scotty Barnes, you have to realize when you're talking to officials and it's not just this game, it's every game, you know, officials at the end of the day, they are human beings. And although they're supposed to be professionals and they are professionals and you not carry one instance to the next or the next game or whatever, they're a human being. And Scotty Barnes is a young player. Scott Foster is a veteran, probably the longest serving official that's still active today. That's his reputation. Reputation is leave Scott alone. That's it. And if you don't have someone on your team, which the Raptors do have people on their team and the coaches, you know, Scott, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Don't say anything to him. Don't say anything to him because he's not, he's not that official. He's not that guy that's going to allow you to keep talking. He's not going to answer a bunch of questions, especially for young players. So Scott Foster, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're a veteran team, and you're, you have veteran players and you have that, that's something you just have to know. And Scotty just has to do a better job of, especially at that moment. Every moment is not the same. What you do in the first quarter, you can't do in the fourth quarter because teams make adjustments, referees get tired, things just happen. 
So if you're doing something in the first quarter, you may have said something to a, a Scott Foster in the first quarter or second quarter or the play before or whatever. That can carry over into the next play. It's going to hurt your team. So you really just have to be mindful and aware of who you're talking to, and especially when it comes to Scott Foster. Just like, yeah, I mean, you mentioned his name. Everyone knows. I'm watching the game last night with my buddy Katino Mobley. And he's like, oh, Scott, come on, Scott. Everyone knows Scott Foster and how he is and how he gets down. And that's just something that, that's a good learning and a teaching point for, for young players, especially Scotty Barnes. Should the NBA care that certain officials have personality traits? Like, they're supposed to be faceless, nameless, but you're right. Come on, Scott. We know Scott Foster. Scott Foster has a short temper. Should that be addressed, or is that really not a big deal to those who actually have power in this league? I mean, I mean you would like – I think all you want is fairness. Like, if you're official, I mean, if you're the NBA, you're the players, you're the team, you know, you, you want you want the games to be called fair and you want it to be consistent. Scotty Foster is consistent. <laughs> he, he's a consistent referee that has a short temper. And he will throw you out the game. He's a no-nonsense guy. I don't know if he wakes up every morning on the wrong side of the bed. I don't know what's up with Scott. I left him alone. You know, I, I didn't say much to Scott. You know, if you had an issue, if you turn around, you look at and you go to another referee and talk to another referee. Or, but all 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 the um, complaining and all of those things, Scott Foster is not the guy. So to your point, yeah, he's supposed to be nameless and faceless and everything like that. But God is consistent. You know what you're going to get out of him. So you just have to be more mindful when you are, you know, making those decisions to to challenge a play or challenge a situation as a player. All right, that final minute or two aside, it was a, a really hard-fought game for the Raptors, um, one of their most complete of the season against a really great team at home, especially 30-4, and four, uh, the Nuggets on home court. Um, lots to take, I think, from the way the Raptors performed. But for you initially, what was the major reason that they were able to be so competitive from start to almost finish against the Nuggets? I really, I really truly believe in this roster, right? This roster with the pieces all coming together, I think they're a good team. They, I think they can compete with the top teams. Can they win a series and can they win all those? You just, you just don't know when it comes to the playoff time and all the things that they have to endure throughout a game. But I just, I love the fact how, you know, they have different elements. I love how you have a Pascal Siakam who can go get a bucket, a Fred Van Vliet who can control the show, a, J- a Jakob Pertle that can, you know, he play his, he plays his butt off on that defensive end. He's that bigger, that bigger player. I love Gary Trent Jr. being able to come off the bench and and do things as well. So I think the elements are all coming together. And when you look at last night's game, I think you got a chance to see it. You got a chance to see every element, whether it was a pick and roll play with Pascal and Jakob, whether it's Fred, you know playing defense, coming down, hitting that mid-range, not forcing too much, but hitting that mid-range and taking what the defense gives them. If, it, if, it's, if it's Gary Chin Jr. hitting the three timely threes, I just think overall it wasn't in particular last night's game. I just see the team coming together, you know, with all the pieces finally and people being healthy with some new additions. They're, they're a very dangerous team moving down the stretch of this of this. Uh, of this season, and if they if they can pull it all together and get into a play-in situation and get into a playoff situation, I think they'll I think they will be dangerous 
come into play against England. Yeah, I mean, last night was a, a great representation of a hardworking Raptors team. Is that identity? It's it's tough to play against, and one of the league's best barely had him um, at the end of the game. There, let's talk about Fred VanVleet specifically when we talk about players that had great performances. I feel like last night was one of his most complete performances for the Raptors this season. He's strung together some some good showings as of late after dealing with some injury, and then you know the whole trade deadline drama of where you're going if you're going anywhere, the baby, et cetera. Are we seeing maybe Fred's Dad strength 3.0 this time around. No, Fred. I mean, Fred is he's one of those guys that that you know I've I, I've really noticed it in the championship year to run when you know he had he had a child then, and I re, I remember him being in a a crazy shooting slump, and then he just got out of it and like he was never in it, and he just played high level basketball. So you know he's always been a tough minded guy. He's always been he's been somebody that, that that believed in himself, but you know now I just see him being a point guard. You know, with twenty one points last night, fourteen assists, and just and just doing all of the things that you know a team would need a point guard to do is controlling the team. So I love how he's playing um, for the whole Raptors team. I would love the consistency to be there, but it's kind of tough when you when you have a lot of injuries. You have guys that's in and out, and it's hard to just get that chemistry and that camaraderie you know, as a unit. But Fred Van Vliet, he's somebody, man, that I would I would go if I'm picking the if I'm picking a team in a playground, he's one of the first guys that I'm picking because I know he's gonna play his butt off. I know he's gonna play with heart. I know he's gonna play with, with passion and he and he really cares about winning. So I, he he's somebody that I just love to see what he's doing and, and he can bring an element to this team once everything is behind him. How many Western conference teams are gonna be doing tape study uh on the Raptors and how they dealt with Nikola Jokic last night. I feel like, you know, a lot of it was OG Ananobi uh, guarding up Jokic, at least on defensive court sets, but uh, Jakob Pertl contributed as well. I mean, is that sort of the, the blueprint? Did we uncover something? Was it just an off night for uh, for uh, Nikola Jokic, or did the Raptors do something to the presumed three-time MVP that other teams can't? I mean, sometimes the Raptors are a little tricky. Nick Nurse does a really good job of game planning. He has the personnel that can make it a little tricky. You know, you have multiple guys that, that can guard multiple positions. You trap at times. You play zones at times. And, you know, if you play, put an OG Ananobi as a heck of a defender, but he, he has the strength. But I wouldn't rely on that. But then you have a Jakob Hurdle that, that has the size. Then you have a Scotty Barnes that can be active, and you can double team at certain times. I think it's very difficult for any player, and you've seen it in the past, where there's, whether it's the Joker, whether it's DeMar DeRozan, whether it's whoever, you know, they, they, the Raptors do a good job of game planning. And that's why you got to take your hat off to Nick Nurse because you can tell they, they pay attention. So other teams, definitely, I'm sure if they're looking, although it's a challenge because the games could come so quickly and it's hard to really truly game plan from game to game because of the game, the manner of the schedule. But you got to have the personnel. And you gotta have the players that believe, and you gotta have a coach that that's willing to try different things. So, you know, the Raptors—they did a good job last year against against the Joker and Denver, where where they came away with the win. And Scotty Barnes did, had the bulk of the assignment of guard and Joker. So, you know, teams may take it, but usually teams are who they are, and they won't they won't go away from that pretty much during the season. Uh, just eight field goal attempts uh, for the Joker, and maybe as many as eight Western Conference teams regretting not paying the price for OG Ananobi because he did an incredible job uh, yesterday versus uh, Nikola Jokic. Uh, are we seeing 
the formation of a decent bench unit with Will Barton in, I, I know that, you know, his impact is not necessarily um, that, that large. However, he does give you what you didn't have previously, which is some, some guard depth. And now with this team a little bit healthier and Gary Trent Jr. on the bench, it just seems like they got more back there now in support of the starting five. Yeah, I mean, you know, the biggest thing about Will, he, he has a lot of talent. The Will is somebody that can score the basketball. He's somebody that he's a, he's a good ball handler. He can make decisions. He's athletic as hell. Like, he, he does a lot, especially coming off that bench. It's all about Will being consistent. You know, Will, Will can come in there and give you 20 points a night when he's making the night. But then he may be a little quiet after that. But I think just him getting acclimated to the team and everything that the team is doing is definitely a big-time improvement um, for, for the bench. We have Gary Trent Jr. coming off the bench. You have Precious Detroit. You have Chris Boucher. And then you have a Will Barton and then other guys that can step in as that. But those four guys coming off their bench, they could be really, really helpful to the Raptors in different, in different ways. But Will Barton is somebody that I'm, I'm excited to see if he can actually get acclimated in this short period of time, because that's the challenge as well. It's not a lot of time. And Nick Nurse doesn't have a lot of time trying to make things work. You know, it's going to have, it's going to, have to happen if it's going to happen, but you, you can't force it. But Will Barton is somebody that can be a def, he definitely could be a great addition to this team coming off the bench. On the other side of the court, we saw Jamal Murray, who had a pretty solid game for the Nuggets. He's been someone that uh, spent last season recovering from injury, of course. Is he Denver's biggest X factor when you look down the stretch here and maybe making a championship run? X factor? I don't, I don't know if he's the X factor. I mean, he, he's, he's very talented, and I think everyone in this NBA knows about Jamal Murray, like if he if he's playing his game, you know he's he's just somebody. I mean, I'm, an X factor to me would be someone like like uh, Porter Jr. Mm. You know who hasn't been there. You know he's been injured, but he's one of those guys that he's so talented, and he's a guy that can score the basketball. And like when you talk about third options and, and fourth options, he's one of those guys you're like wow, like he's on this team too, and he's a guy that can. That can fill it up. I think last night, I think he might have had like 20 points scoring from the outside. He got, he got matchups. He, he's not bashful from any shot. But, but Jamal Murray is, is a heck of a player. He could be the X factor. But I think everyone, I think with him not scoring as much, but just being out there as a threat, the team still can win. But certain guys like a, like a Porter, like a Porter Jr. and, and Aaron Gordon and, and these guys are the guys that makes the team really, really dangerous because it's hard to game plan for those guys. And you can game plan for Jamal Murray coming off the pick and roll and picking up full court or whatever they want to do because he's one of those talented guys. Those other guys is like, all right, if we stop Jamal Murray and the Joker, what about Aaron Gordon? What about uh, Porter Jr.? Like, so those guys, it's, it's a deep team. But I love the way Jamal Murray's playing. I love what he brings to the game, and I love that element because without him, you know, the team is a different-looking team, to your point. Whether it was 45, 46, maybe 47 really, really superb minutes from the Raptors last night, uh, it was a really, really impressive stretch of basketball from them. If they can harness that, if they can repeat that, what do you think the ceiling is for this team? I mean, I I think they got a chance. You know, I I said I think this roster – 
is the roster that's good enough to be a threat to any team. You know, whether they get in the playing game, if they can get in there and they can they can pull it together. It's just all the tricky part is all the pieces are there now at the end, but it's not a lot of time. So the players gonna have to come together, really stay loyal, stay loyal to the team philosophy, stay loyal to the game plan as it comes and as it changes day to day and and they just have to play because there's not a lot of team it's not a lot of time, I'm sorry, but they do have they have the pieces. I'll 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 go I'll go to battle with Fred Van Vliet and, and Pascal Siakam and OG and Scotty and Jakob Pertl. I'll, I'll go to battle with those guys. And then we talked about the guys coming off the bench. I go to I go to battle with those guys as well. So I like what they're I like what they had. Now it's about the timing of the season and everyone just getting acclimated to playing again with one another with the rotations and different situations. All right. I love the positivity, though, Alvin. This, uh, it's oh, yeah. Got to stay positive in the morning. Got to stay positive. <laughs> we love that. That's our role as well. It's good to have you on, on the show this morning. Thanks for breaking it down with us, and hopefully we chat with you soon. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. You as well. It's Alvin Williams, former NBA guard and current Sportsnet analyst. So it's off to Los Angeles next. Mm-hmm. Clippers, then Lakers. The LeBronless Lakers on the weekend for the Toronto Raptors. Crypto.com arena. They can take up <laughs> temporary residence there. But LeBron is, uh, he's not just on the sidelines. He's doing some tweeting oh my God. from the sidelines. I just saw this tweet. He tweeted last night. Just came over my feed while I was, uh, while we were talking to Alvin there. He tweets eight hours ago. <laughs> Man, Bronny definitely better than some of these cats I've been watching on League Pass today. Blank. Lightweight hilarious with four crying emojis. <laughs> He is. He's open. Bronny's not even in college yet. Openly camp. I mean, might not go to college, but openly uh, campaigning and suggesting that his kid, who isn't really a high end NBA prospect, is better than the current like a, a, a nice crop of players that he saw in League Pass last night. Like, what's he doing? Too much wine last night? Probably. Why does LeBron James need to be drunk tweeting? It's just crazy to me the amount of. I mean, I love. It's your son. I get it. You want to promote your children and give them the praise they deserve, but this they don't deserve whole, that praise, though. This whole journey of of Bronny's life has been—it's brutal, man. A, like a character study of like LeBron James and his social media tendencies. But this is this is this is maybe one of the worst. My skin, my skin would be crawling if I was Bronny. Like I'd be like, dude, just leave me alone. Like I can use, I can maybe use the James name to make the NBA. Maybe without you, maybe I can get there. But if not, I don't know. Maybe I go play for Barcelona or go play for another team. Like I'm, I'm good enough to at no, least. But you can if you're, I don't your need dad you. LeBron James. No, I don't need you holding my hand, Dad. I don't need it. It's the worst. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't bother him. But the that tweet, if I it's was him, it would be, it would be the most infuriating thing ever. Calling people cats though is is such is like it's, it's a the, it's a good one. It's the best part no, of the tweet. Cats, eh? <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, the cats. it's the only redeemable aspect That's of that good. tweet. That's a good choice of uh, word. The cats. Um, all right, Raptors back in action tomorrow on their West Coast swing here um, against the Clippers and then the Lakers. We'll see what LeBron's tweeting about Friday night, ten thirty p.m. That'll be a late one, um, but we got Wednesday's action. But Maple Leafs. 
hit the ice tonight in New Jersey. 7 p.m. puck drop. We'll tee that up on the other side of the break with Joshua Cloak, who's down there in New Jersey having a little pizza tour. Yeah, he's there for one reason. Well, two reasons, but one primary reason, pizza. So we'll talk to him about pizza. (laughs) And the Maple Leafs next.